When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. They say, eat, drink, and be merry. Take the bull by the horns. I keep seeing visions of you, a lily among thorns. Everything looks a little far away to me. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart, recorded at the sessions for 1983's Infidels, is fellow Bobcat, Chris Donahue. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being on the show. No problem. It's a pleasure. I've been a fan of yours uh, for a year or two. It really uh, took over during COVID. I, I was looking every every Saturday. I comes out in Ireland every Saturday morning and um, I listen to every week. So it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. You know, COVID really, I think, did a lot of us podcasters a solid <laughs> because so many people were, you know, the, the, their entertainment options were suddenly limited to what they could get inside their house. So I think podcasts really, really had a moment yeah, thanks yeah, to a global yeah. pandemic. So in the I, end, yeah, it was, I was worth just it. Eating, Oh, definitely. I was just eating up Dylan podcasts. Like, I mean, I think COVID, another thing, it, it made my obsession grow even more, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I have about four or five Dylan podcasts on the go every week. So uh, it's just, there's no escape for me now. I'm in here like... Mm. Now you're in, you're in, man. So, <laughs> so uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about someone's got a hold of my heart from 1983's Infidels, but which of course the song itself morphed into another song. But we'll talk about all that in a moment. But first, Chris, of course, I got to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob? Um, I was a bit of a late starter, Rob. I didn't didn't really get into Dylan until my mid twenties, I would guess. Um, before that, there I was during my teenage years. I was into punk and heavy metal and Dead Kennedys. And, then grunge came along, and yeah, I wasn't really in a place for Dylan, you know. And then over here, I suppose in the nineties, dance music took off, and I spent a couple of years where, if it didn't have a beat, I wasn't interested, you know. There's, it, it took off big over in Ireland, the dance movement. Um, I suppose mid twenties, I was just ready for something new, and what actually happened was um, a friend made a mixtape. Um, I just got my driving license. And uh, he gave me this Bob Dylan mixtape, and I was driving around one day, and it was kind of just a lot of the songs I kind of knew. I mean, they're they're out there. I'd be big into music, and they were always about, but uh, they never really hit with me. And I was driving around one day, and some of those songs that I'd heard many times over the years, but paid no attention to, suddenly suddenly came through and hit me. And it's been a bit of a yeah, I've been a fairly serious fan ever since. So I suppose that was that was probably around 99, Um So the first album that came out after that, I think, was Love and Theft, was it? Good one. That's a good place yeah. to start. By the way, before you, get, yeah. before you go further on that, do you remember what some of those songs were on the tape? I do, actually. It was uh, Sooner or Later was on it. Uh, that one really hit with me. Um, I don't think twice it's all right. So it sort of done. It was a, it was a mixture of music from mainly the 60s and 70s you know there was there was nothing outside of there was no deep cuts really so there was stuff i mean as i say i was into my music it was stuff you would hear on alternative radio um like i mean previously people had tried to get me into dylan but uh, just i i couldn't see it you know and it's funny like like it was big into punk music and now i kind of know Dylan's music. I mean, there was nobody more punk than Dylan in the in the <laughs> mid sixties, you know. And if, <clears throat> maybe if I had a, paid attention to that, um, I might have got into him sooner. But 
that didn't work out. I think it's just, you just have to be ready for Bob Dylan. There's just a time, and if you're ready, and it, it hits you, it hits you, you know, and that's it, really. And so, yeah, so it was mid-20s. That's always, that's well, often how it works, is that it's people hear it at some other point in their life, and as you say, you're just not ready for it. And then you you get to a point in your life, depend, depending how old you are, but, like, you get to a point where then it gets in you. It gets its hooks in you. And then that's it. You're done at that point. <laughs> so That's kind of it. Like, I mean, the lyrics, and I mean, it was just this free, I mean, I don't know. There was just something all of a sudden where some of them lyrics that before hadn't dropped just suddenly, suddenly hit with me, you know. And it's, I mean, a lot of Dylan lyrics, when you see them on the page, I mean, they're, 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 of course, they're fantastic, but they're not, not that much different than some of the other guys that do something similar, you know, Townsman's aunt or, John Prine or Tom Waits, but there's just something about Dylan, how he drops a line to you, how he, it must be his phrasing or something. You know, they really do hit, like, so I think that's, I mean, that's for me what, that was my end. Um, I think since that, a lot of those songs now, for me, have been played out slightly, and, and maybe that's where it did start to delve into the 80s stuff more, and mm. <clears throat> I'm kind of a child of the 80s as well, so uh, I never really understood the disdain uh, people had for his 80s output. Uh, the songs might not be as uh, as classic, obviously, but I mean, I love that sound, you know. So, uh, yeah, I dug into the 80s quite deeply <laughs> for a long time. Uh, I'm kind of now, I'm on this late period, I've almost overplayed the 80s stuff now as well, you know, but <laughs> that's where I am now. So have you ever seen him live? Because, I mean, I mean, he has traveled to your part of the world. And, of course, everyone knows by your accent, you are, of course, from Italy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's been over to Ireland quite a, a few times. And, I, like, I mean, nearly every tour he call in there. And I think he feels, I definitely think there's a connection between Ireland and him. Possibly due to the early folk music and which he's talked. Like, I mean, there are quite a few Irish folk songs where he's tucked the air from those. And, um of course, he's good friends with our own Bono, and so he probably comes over here and hooks up and meets up with Bono and has a chat. And so he's over in Ireland quite a bit. So the first time I seen him was probably the early noughties, whenever Love and Theft came out. Uh, he was meant to play. It was quite a good atmosphere in this country at that time. It wasn't long after the peace uh, deal, the Good Friday Agreement, and uh, there was bonds playing. Like I don't know if you know the the head of government here it sits in a place called Stormont it's the okay. biggest state and <clears throat> at the time there was a lot of like Alan John and the Eagles were playing there like sold out crowds and uh, yeah Dylan was meant to play there <laughs> he didn't in the end up they moved it to a smaller venue and that smaller venue wasn't sold out so I don't know what happened there um, so that was the first time I've seen him so it was meant to be a big outdoor gig but it ended up inside and it was great I had a great night. And since I've had a have a bootleg of that concert now, and it sounds fantastic. You know, you've Charlie Sexton on the on the guitar. Yeah, I've seen him probably about ten times since. Mm, wow. Okay. All right. That's yeah. The last time he was here was Kilkenny. He played with Neil Young. Neil Young was him and Neil Young were doing a double bill, and they came on together and sang, uh, which was great. It was actually a week before my wedding. I wasn't I wasn't meant to go to that. We had too much. <laughs> We were very busy, and what happened was I woke up in the morning that Bob Dylan was playing. It was like literally a week before the wedding. I was like, the wife, oh, 
I can't miss this like it's Neil Young and, and Bob Dylan like. so we drove to Kilkenny which is about four hours away and we, we managed to get yeah we managed to get cheap tickets outside and went in and seen everything it's great yeah get married <laughs> next week so all right, well, let me, just because you, you've mentioned it, so because, I mean, I'm getting married in October. Uh, I'm curious, when you're, when you're a week out, uh, is there anything to do at that point, or is everything just sort of locked in, and, and now it's like, well, it's just going to happen now? Were there, was for you, was there still a million things to do? Because I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to really. getting a I mean, point where a... there's nothing to do. <laughs> Not really. I mean, this is the thing. You sort of expect that there's a million things to do. So I suppose on the lead up to the wedding, we're saying, oh, we can't do that a week before the wedding. And then we woke up, you know, that morning and goes, actually, there isn't much else to do, you know, as you say, it's all locked down. And so uh, we just went, ah, sure, here. I mean, at oh. the end of the day, your wedding, it's a fade and it's a bit of a dance, you know, don't get too worked up about it. That's it at the end of the day. Most <laughs> food's nice, the music's good. You're good to go, really, aren't you? I, I hope so. We'll, we'll, we'll all find out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, oh, and then well, we got here, just a, one last Dylan thing about our wedding. The tables, we named the tables after Dylan's song, so that was a good wee move, I thought. What, like, what were they named? Well, there was a table of, uh, like, actually an old, not an old, jeez, oh, I hope they don't listen to this. There was um, an older group of friends, and we called our table Forever Young. It was a group of friends that liked to party and we called our table one too many mornings. So sort of like that, we named all the tables. <laughs> kind of re- relative to who was sitting at them after Bob Dylan's song. So. That's great. I love that idea. <laughs> That's really Yeah, cool. you can have it. Take it. All right. That- <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll jot that down. <laughs> You'll have to talk uh, if you will see it. That probably wouldn't be that hard to do. We'll try. We'll, we'll I'll, I'll report back. So, uh, okay, well, that's that's excellent. So, again, you were talking a little bit about the 80s stuff, and, of course, we're talking about an 80s song. Now, this this song is, you know, relatively unique in Bob's canon in that it's a song that by itself exists as a finished piece, and you can enjoy it on its own terms as its own song. Um, but it's obviously a song that he then morphed into a completely, I don't want to say completely different song, but a very different song for, of course, Empire Burlesque. And it shows up as tight connection to my heart. There aren't that many songs in his catalog where you can draw that line of, of connection so deeply. You know, normally he either, you know, records a song and it makes an album or he records a song and it leaves it off. And there's some transposing of lines here and there. But very rarely does he take a song and just kind of like change it 50% enough to turn it to a different song. And yet here we are with this song. And um, for the longest time, the only version I'd ever heard was the version on the, the original bootleg series, uh, which was the only take I knew of, uh, which, uh, you know, and, and I thought, okay, well, that's, it just exists as it is. And then later on, at some point I'd gotten a bootleg and then heard, oh, there's other versions. Now, of course, there was the multiple ones on the Springtime in New York set. Um, so w- did you, I assume you first heard this on the bootlegs, the first bootleg series set? Yeah, that's where I first heard it. And to tell you the truth, um, I mean, since I've got into the, the heavier, rockier version, I went back and listened to the bootleg one. And I, th- I think at the time it went over my head a little, you know, it didn't really... Um, there was a group of songs in that bootleg three towards the end uh, that are all sort of that 80s sound and they kind of all drifted in and out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
whenever that like one of the first after I got into them and after that mixtape, one of the first things I got was that bootleg one to three. I didn't really start to get into the albums. I got that, so I had a good um, give me a good mix of his music. And at that time, I probably was listening to the sixties and seventies stuff more, and and possibly that third disc with the eighties stuff. I didn't listen to quite as much, so it did go over my head a bit. Um, about two years ago, um, on YouTube, I discovered the rock version, and uh, mm-hmm. oh, I and I listened to that for about six months straight. I mean, there was days. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this song. There was days I would have it on for a couple of hours. It was just wow. Pretty, it's just so good. Like <laughs> I could, I mean, I just I, like I remember saying to people, "This is Bob Dylan's best song ever." Now, <clears throat> <laughs> I will say, <laughs> "Wow!" I plant your flag. And like, look in preparation for this, I've probably now played it out and will never listen to it again. But oh no. The, <laughs> but there was a period of time where I was going, this is the best song he's ever ever written. I love it. Like. Yeah, no, it's so good. It just sounds so good. Like. It's all about the sound of this, you know. I remember um, being startled when I got the bootleg series, that first set, and they had all of those outtakes from, from Infidels. I mean, a large chunk of that set is devoted to Infidels outtakes, Blind Willie McTell and stuff. But I remember thinking, this song... And Tell Me, another song that I really love. And I was really like shocked that those songs are so sweet and so warm and so kind of seemingly free from the doom and gloom that takes up so much of Infidels. And it, you know, on the one hand, I was like, geez, it might have been nice to have these songs on Infidels just to leaven that album a little bit. Uh, but then at the same time, and this is you know the kind of eternal debate that we always have about Bob Dylan records is like, well, he has a he for the most part he has a vision in his head of what the album is, I guess. And if an out al- if a song doesn't fit that vision, off it goes, and it doesn't matter how good the song is, um, he leaves it behind. Now, obviously, something about this stuck in his head that he returned to it for the Empire Burlesque section, but so. I quoted the initial verse and then the, the second verse is getting harder and harder to recognize the trap. Too much information about nothing, too much educated rap. It's just like you told me. It's just like you said it would be. First of all, I mean, talk about a verse that we're living in right now. Too much information Absolutely, about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, there we go. It's the birth of the internet right there. Yeah. Um, the moon rising like wildfire. I feel the breath of a storm. Something I got to do tonight, you go inside and stay warm. And then someone's got a hold of my heart. Someone's got a hold of my heart. Someone's got a hold of my heart. You, yeah, you got a hold of my heart. So now the, the, the take on the first bootleg series set, you mentioned the vocal. It's, it is. It's very, um, what's the word? Like almost like, like not committed for him. It just seems like he's almost like trying to teach somebody the song. Now, that's not typical of Bob, but the, it's a, it, and the, and the, the pace of it is very relaxed. Like it's just, mm, 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 yeah. I mean, I, it's almost like a holiday in band kind of thing. Like it's just kind of this easy listening song. And then you hear the, the, the rocked up version. And you're like, Whoa, this is the same song, but sounding completely different. I mean, I've went back and listened to that song since, and, and really just preparing for this podcast. Really? I've really listened to it. And the slower one, I mean, it, it's good too. I mean, there's a Monica playing at the start. Sweet, it's, as you say, it's sweet, you know. But it, it is a wee bit um, like he's just running through it with a band or whatever. 
this rock version I'm on is singing on it is just I think that's what gets me about it is singing is I mean I don't think Dylan's voice has ever been better up to that point or, or since that point I think it was the most truest I think it was the most truest version of Dylan's voice we've had he's went through so many voices I mean and he, he you know he lives in the voices so well that sometimes you don't realise but I mean he's not on like Dylan he, or sorry he's not on on like Bowie, where he does do these changes. I mean, in the early days, when he was, what, 18, 19 years of age, he was trying to be an old blues man. You know, that wasn't really, I mean, he was very good at it, but it wasn't his true voice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then you have this sneering punk voice of the mid-60s. Then you have the bored, or, yeah, bored voice of the of basement um, sessions, really. Um, moving into his croony Hank Williams he voice in Nashville. <laughs> um, so I mean, and then you have the gospel voice where in the late seventies, early eighties, where his voice is starting to get stronger. And I think, I mean, when you listen to Infidels or any of that stuff from that period, he he's not trying to be something else. You know, I think it's the one time we really hear what Dylan's voice was like, and it was very strong, and you can really hear it in something's got. Uh, someone's got a hold of my heart or foot of pride. You can really hear the strength in the voice. Like when there's some of that, like when he's singing there about it. Some of the lines there he finishes on, like ancient river or educated rap. I mean, he's oh, he's just shouting it, and it's, it's so good. Like it fits so well with, with the band as well. You know, it's just now yeah. when when you say uh, he's not trying to be something else. What exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean that he's not trying to put on a slight persona? Well, a persona, possibly. Yeah. I mean, like those early records, you know, he's, I mean, he's a wee skinny 19-year-old kid, you know, and he, <laughs> you know, he's definitely trying to put on like a blues voice, isn't he? Or mm-hmm. like an older man blues voice. Um, I mean, even up to modern, like Tempest, what was he doing there, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean... I don't know how you feel about the voice he had in Tempus. For me, it was a wee bit too much of the thing, but he was heading that direction where he was doing the, and I suppose he has a edge on his side now, but he was doing the older blues man, Tom's weight sort of growl. And, you know, it had just, I mean, he was always trying to do something, wasn't he? Gospel, he was trying to be a yeah. gospel singer. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like this stuff in the 80s, and possibly through the 90s, it was really Dylan's voice, like time out of mind as well. He's not, trying to do something like i mean even the sonata albums he done there you know he's he's trying to be a crooner mm-hmm. you know um and i think funny the last album he, that rough and ready was i think it's back to just the way dylan sounds you know he's took on the lessons of the crooner stuff but it, it does sound more natural you know it sounds like an 80 year old man singing <laughs> uh, and he's not forcing anything um and I think that I think his voice for me in the eighties was was like that, you know. It was a true Dylan voice. He wasn't trying hmm. to do anything else. And it's his voice was strong too. He was yes. what he was, was he in his forties or whatever, you know. So he was Yeah, he would just, have been forty two when he made this record. Yeah. I mean when you hear some of these recordings, he's just singing so good. Like and uh, I suppose the biggest criticism of Dylan is he can't sing. I mean, I would play him anyone this or foot of pride and say that man can't sing yeah well good lord yeah i mean anyway i mean just on a on a verbal dexterity level just try and sing foot of pride 
Like, just try and do it yourself. Exactly. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's I can't impossible. even read. I can't even read the words out loud without flubbing them. Uh, you know, oh. let alone singing it straight through. So, yeah, that's. I mean, that that's a whole other part of his vocal persona Andrea, that I think just, is unappreciated. Absolutely, and it's so interesting to me that "Foot of Pride" or or this song we're talking about. Like, I mean, never got an official release. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's never played them live. It's almost like he's just. Like he completely left those songs behind, and mm-hmm. for me, I mean, two of the best songs he did in that decade of, <laughs> or of any decade, you know, if they had been infidels. I mean, as you say, the the Dylan community talk about this often enough, but those two songs and Willie McBride or Willie, <laughs> you know, it would have been a hit album, wouldn't it? Oh Sorry. my goodness! Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, I said it's an infidels with Blind Willie McTell and Foot of Pride, and this on it would have been. It's just like whoa, you know. Uh, you're talking. It would have been more, and especially oh, then after like traveling Wilburys and all came out, you know, it could have been a different, different eighties for Dylan, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I so what his is, hair just didn't. His hair just didn't suit the eighties. Like it was starting to go gray and fuzzy at that point, you know. Just eighties <laughs> hair had to be sleek, you know. If he had had good hair like Dylan or Rod Stewart, or like Bowie or Rod Stewart, he would have been on. Like. One of the uh, one of the things that I I found so remarkable about the 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 versions that appear on the Springtime in New York set is it's, it's essentially the same song. All the lyrics are basically the same, uh, but the, as you talk about, it's obviously like the 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 passion that he's putting across in the the first I'm doing you know air quotes first version the first one on the bootleg mm. series line three is like it's romantic but it's kind of almost it's just the way he sings it almost like a hallmark kind of romantic it's just kind of someone's got a hold of my heart yeah yeah and then you get to the springtime yeah. in new york one and then it like it burns with this desire that he has for someone the, the the sort of fury of like unconsummated love kind of thing and just between that and the guitar the don't don't where it just gets in that, and you're like, wow, this is the same song, but with just a completely different vocal performance. Now, before we get too far off of this, the the, the verse that I just quoted, the moon rising, rising like wildfire, I feel the breath of a storm, something I'm going to do tonight, you go inside and stay warm. I found this little factoid in Terry Gans's book, uh, Surviving a Ruthless World. And of course, we had Terry on the show a little while ago to talk about it. But they said, when Dylan's office put together the lyrics for his review of this song, the line, I feel the breath of a storm was transcribed as I feel the breath of a skunk. <laughs> and apparently Bob wrote a note uh, correcting that. And he just put what? And then in parentheses storm, which <laughs> makes me laugh. Uh, so far. First of all, why would anyone think that breath of a skunk is a line? But I love that Bob was just the, uh, what? <laughs> just like, where did you get that from? I love the uh, magic Bob Dylan red penning your, you're transcribing of this song. That just made me oh, laugh. God, I haven't heard that. Yeah. Heard oh, that my God. That made me chuckle uh, so hard. Um, so he continues on. He says, uh, just got back from a city of flaming red skies. Everybody thinks with their stomach, and there's plenty of spies. Every street is crooked. They just wind around until they disappear. And, again, for, for a love song, uh, you are kind of – at sea a little with some of this stuff. You're like, what? What is he talking? Yeah, about? well, like, what you know? What, I mean, I was looking it, at the lyrics. It, it's almost like the verses are from a different song. That mm-hmm. I mean, none of the verses tie in with someone's got a hold of my heart, really. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's why he put the thing on hold. Uh, like the verses to me, a lot of the lines you can take out of that and drop in the foot of, of pride. 
very <laughs> very easily like I've been to Babylon mm-hmm. never could learn to drink up blood and call it wine that sort of apocalyptic stuff you could drop it in the foot of pride easy enough um, yeah I know what you mean you are a wee bit of the verses don't connect up really to what the title of the song is leading you to think it's about I always sort of took it as, I mean, by the way, I love the line, every street is crooked. They just wind around until they disappear. That's just a marvelous visual. Some great lines. I mean, there really is. Yeah. um, But I I said I always sort of took it as, you know, the world's crazy. Everything's crazy. And this person that he's met this, our singer has met this person. And this person is, you know, like, uh, is, is true north to him. That's how he's seeing it. And he's trying to navigate all of this insane stuff. And it even haunts his dreams. I mean, he talks about Madam Butterfly. She'd lulled me to sleep like an ancient river so wide and so deep. She said, be easy, baby. Ain't nothing worth stealing here. Uh, you're the one I've been waiting for. You're the one that I desire. But you must realize I'm not another man for hire. Someone's got to hold him. So it's like he's trying to connect to this person. There's a lot of disconnect. There's a lot of dislocation. But it's... Even in his dreams, he's seeing this person very clearly, and he's trying to navigate through all the craziness to get to this person, either literally or metaphorically. And that's always sort of how I took it. But yeah, a lot of the stuff, you really could transpose some of this into Foot of Pride, which is good. It's interesting. That's what, you know, obviously that was that sort of feeling was on his mind when he was like, you know, living on his boat, writing yeah. the songs for this record. Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose he was coming out of that period of time where he was very solid. That's very solid Christian. I mean, it was maybe a wee bit out of sea again, and um, all these sort of things were were clearly on his mind. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of lines in this song for me are they do reveal a wee bit of what Dylan's true nature probably is a reluctance to sell himself out is one of his big things, isn't it? Throughout his, <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. his career, um. Like everything has to be on on that man's terms, really, doesn't it? There's no compromise. <laughs> um, so, like, you must realize I'm not a man for hire. It's it's not that dissimilar to something like uh, I gave her my heart, but she wanted my soul. Is it? It's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. thirty years before, twenty years before. So, I mean, this stuff at that time did seem to um, play into Dylan's lyrics a lot. Yeah. I, again, someone like uh, someone like Bob Dylan. Again, we, I try not to connect too much to the lyrics to the man himself because he's an artist and he creates things. And you know, I would argue some of his songs are no more him than a painting is. You know, I mean, sometimes it's just, yeah. he just likes to create, and it's not connected to the person necessarily. That said, someone like Bob Dylan, who has had however many relationships across his life, and and has has a barrage of people that need things from him, that want things from him. Uh, you got to be kind of guarded because oh, absolutely. You, I mean, you know? there is, and, yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, some of this stuff is probably just at rhymes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that too, it's a lot of yeah. it might just be in rhymes. Yeah, uh, this is it. Like, but I mean, these these things that do pop into your head do they're obviously influenced by the headspace you're in at the time, um, consciously and subconsciously. So, I mean. Yeah, I definitely think that some of this stuff does feed in. And there are themes in Dylan uh, over the years, and, and one of them does seem to be this. Um, and just from the way he goes on in life, you know, you do know that it's uh, he's not going to sell himself out. Like. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, so the song goes on, he says, Hear that hot-blooded singer on a bandstand croon. September song, Memphis in June. 
when they're while they're beating the devil out of a guy who's wearing a powder blue wig. Now that line he retained for tight connection, and that line always sort of jumped out at me. Uh, in that it's it's I mean it has I mean a lot of Bob Dylan songs have uh, implied or not even implied violence, but that line always jumped out at me as as you know they're beating the devil out of a guy who's wearing a powder blue wig, and it was like the 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 crowd that he's in, these people that he's associating with. Uh, are not tolerant of anyone who looks a little different. That's yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's, that's the, what I talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at the same time, the phrase "beating the devil out of a guy" has got kind of an old timey kind of light feeling to it. And so, it, to me, it seems a little more comical than if you were saying they were beating the guy in the paddleboard wig to death you know, kind of thing. Like beating the devil out of somebody is such an old timey phrase that it, the violence to me doesn't land the same. And that may have been what Bob was trying to put across is that it's not quite as ominous as it might sound. Cause again, that, that phrase is so old timey. Uh, and then he continues on. I've been to Babylon and I got to confess, I could still hear that voice crying in the wilderness. What looks large from a distance close up is never that big. Never could learn to drink that blood and call it wine. Never could learn to look at your face and call it mine. Now, the line about um, what looks large from a distance close up is never that big. Now, when he, when he returned to this song for, to turn it into tight connection, he stripped out a lot of these lines and replaced them with lines that have been sourced to a, like half a dozen movies. Um, there's a line from Humphrey, the home from Humphrey, excuse me, Bogart movie, Sirocco. Um, there is a line from a Star Trek episode. Uh, and then this particular line, what looks large from a distance close up is never that big has been sourced to a Gary Cooper movie called Now and Forever. I've never seen that film, but it's, it's basically that line is slightly paraphrased. Now, I think it's interesting. Now, you know, people were like, oh, he's, you know, he's just taking lines from movies. I'm like, well, is he taking lines from movies or is that he's, he's inputting a lot of stuff? This is a guy that reads a lot and sees a lot and does a lot and stuff just lodges into his brain and it comes out later. I can't imagine that he's like sitting there with a notepad watching now and forever with a, on VHS and going, Oh yeah, that's a good line. I could put that into a song. I, like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that just doesn't read true to me. Yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, <clears throat> the changes to take connection. It's hard to know what happened during that time. I mean, that song is clearly more of a, the take connection version of the song. It's, it's more of a traditional by girl theme and the verses do tie up with the chorus a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. Like he, he, he seems to have removed the more social commentary for the prey type stuff from the song. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe again we were talking about just what's on in your mind subconsciously. Maybe he moved on. You know, a couple of years had passed, and the stuff he wrote at the time he had left behind, and he had worked out in his head, and he was just wanting to write a wee love song. And, um, those those lines from those movies were lying around. He thought the played, so maybe something like that happened. Yeah, yeah, I said. And by the way, I love that. I love the line. I mean, what looks large from a distance, close up is never that big. It's such a wonderful it's inversion great. of everything that you expect. That you know, you you imagine something that's terrifying, and then you get up, see it up close, and oh, it's really not that bad. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's the kind. It's really. Have you ever watched Father Ted, the Irish, Irish comedy Father Ted? Have you heard I of am- I am familiar with it, but I have never... I think I've seen bits and pieces of an episode or here and there. 
Well, there's a priest in it who wouldn't be that bright, and one of the other priests is explaining perspective to him, and he's got a toy cow, yeah. <laughs> and he's holding it up, and he's going, close, far away. <laughs> you might... Yeah, so it's funny. But that, that line, I can't listen to that line without thinking of Father Ted, so it sort of ruins it a bit for me. Um, the one thing I thought was interesting in that in those, that particular verse is, is they never could learn to drink that blood and call it wine. Mm. Um, I mean, should that not be I could never learn to drink that wine and call it blood? You know, it's it's back to front. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so the, the... What, uh, that's interesting to me. It's like, it was never wine. It was always blood, you know. Um, I, I can't get wrap my head around what he was trying to say there. Is it just because it rained? I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is at the point where he is divesting himself of a lot of the really heavy Christian imagery from the previous three records. But I mean, these lines like this pop up that it's still in his writing. I mean, good Lord, the album, you know, I mean, he's the, 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 his songs never lost that. But I mean, that that line jumps right out of you. And it is said it's the, these funny two lines that never and never could learn to look at your face and call it mine. That line again jumps out at me as like, wait, what's it, Huh? Because it seems like that this relationship he's trying to put together is not going to happen, or it's it's ended, or you know, yeah, when the rest of the song seems to be about trying to achieve something, this thing feels like it's oh, it's in the past and it was never going to work. So it's always like, wait, what? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's the disconnect in the verses and the in the course again. I mean, that face could be Christ, uh, you know, it might not necessarily be a romantic. Mm. partner uh, maybe that's why he moved on from christianity um i don't know i mean again it could just be a rhyme we could be you know we're having to fill the half an hour here talking about the song and and you know it's uh i don't know how much dylan would actually think about it himself it probably just ends up in the page and he goes with it um, <laughs> probably yes yeah yeah i mean yeah no but i really like that set of verse, uh, verses you just read out i like the quotes the song titles that he came up with red mm-hmm. roses for a blue lady mm-hmm. memphis and june, memphis and june yeah. yeah september song i mean there's a good short i mean what he does there is it's a shorthand you know he's just naming those songs it conjures up if you do know your music it conjures up all these other stories and a few short lines you know and it, it um it lends the song some depth doesn't it Mm-hmm. Like, like if you know the song Memphis in June, all he has to do is mention that, and you're sort of transported to another tune. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great way to write in the song. It's maybe a precursor to Murder Most Foul, where some people might think he took it too far. He names songs <laughs> for what ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, it's interesting that he stripped September song out for when he gets the tight connection. Because then, that, yeah. the, there's because then he changes the line. There's a little lady uh, singing singing Memphis in June, uh, so he stripped out the September song. And he said for that later version, uh, he replaced a lot of these lines and, and replaced them with songs lines again. You can you can source from from other movies. So have you heard him mess up uh, wearing a powder blue wig? Have you heard that in the verse version? He says wearing a powder blue wig. No, oh, no, I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah, Does he yeah. really? Look- yeah, he does listen to the basement tapes when he messes it up. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> yeah, I think what he's doing, because isn't there flaming red skies or something? So I think yeah, he's, it's early he's, on. He's about flaming red skies, yeah. Yeah, so I think he's like mixed up that line. He's kind of mixed flaming with powder <laughs> and came up with clouder. 
I never noticed that. I have to listen to that. Yeah, yeah that's to great. That, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so I mean, when you you said you were listening to it for like nonstop for like six months, I mean, is it was what was it? What was it that that gripped you so heavily that you were like, oh, this is the best thing ever? It was. I mean, look, already. I mean, I've, I went into uh, uh, it was his voice. Like, I mean, the voice mm-hmm. was just amazing. I'd never heard. I'd never heard him sing like that before. Um, like. His voice was just so strong, uh, and it fitted in very well with the music as well. Um, Slay and Robbie were just fantastic. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, another criticism people made of Dylan is that there are no hooks in a lot of his songs. They're just verse, 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 and they can be monotonous. And I mean, this song could be seen like that only Slan Robbie I mean whatever they're doing in the background from a rhythm point of view is just you're just locked into a groove like so mm-hmm. I mean I could, <laughs> do you know I would listen to a lot of uh, sort of drone music like the wooden ships or earth and, uh, and stuff that does go on or uh, I love the Grateful Dead stuff that goes on for quite some time you know and there's just something about the the rhythm in that song Slan Robbie and Knoppler doing his sweet chicken scratch rock and roll thing in the background and some of the the licks I think it's uh, is it Mick Taylor it's with the Rolling Stones I think he's playing on as well uh, it's just I, I don't know it's just like those guys have got the rhythm locked down you're locked into that groove the guitar work going around is fantastic and then you've got Dylan singing never better like so yeah just really hit home with me and <clears throat> before that my favourite song was probably Foot of Pride and it's I do feel it's a, like, I mean, they were both recorded on the same couple of days, according to the records anyway. Um, I think those two songs are very, very connected, you know. Mm-hmm. Even it's, in sound, it's the same. I mean, it's Slay and Robbie, it's Mick Taylor, it's, it's uh, Mark Knopfler. Yeah. And uh, Al- Alan have you seen Clark. the video, by the way, that was released in springtime? Yes. Yeah. That, 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 we talked about this in another episode, but it was like, when they dug up all that footage of Bob recording infidel songs in in for these videos, and I'm like, how have we not seen these before now? You know, like oh, gosh, how, is the, so... how, how is Columbia Records slash Sony Music sitting on HD footage of Bob Dylan live recording his work? And well, let's just let's just put it away somewhere. Like, like you know, I mean, again, and it makes you think. Well, what else is out there? I mean, again, like this whole thing with the get back sessions and stuff, and. Something I wanted to mention, you just mentioned Sly and Robbie, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare. Is there something, you know, wonderfully committed to Dylan's perspective of, um, or his insistence, not perspective, but his insistence on constantly trying something new, even when this new thing that you have found is clearly working? And he seems like it's almost like messianic in some way. Because it's like, you know, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare were like two of the best session musicians that he ever had. And they clearly had a real almost telepathic ability to communicate, you know, in terms of them supporting Dylan on these songs. And he seemed to clearly really enjoy playing with them. And you would think, well, God, just hire those guys every time. You know, like get them back, like get them back. Like why? Why is it one record and out? You know, and I almost think that's just Dylan's. Like, nope, the muse is heading me this way. And and even though Sly and Robbie were awesome, 
no, I'm going to go do this other thing. And it's just, it's, it's just amazing. And, you know, I, as someone who is as risk averse as myself, I, I find that to be very heroic in some ways that he is so committed to that, that even when it might lead him down a, another road that it turns out not to be, you know, it, it turns, it turns out to be a crooked road that just disappears at the same time. Like, man, I, I think if I had found those guys, I'd be like, guys, you're going to be on every record from now, from now on, you know, I mean, come on, you guys are so good at this. And the, you oh, know, they're brilliant. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, that band together are just amazing. Any, any of the stuff you listen, and it's like that. The rock version of this song, the version we're talking about from from a uh, bootleg series uh, one to three. I mean, it was that was only the day before. Uh, to do such a, I mean, I play a wee bit of music, and this so, to the next day I come up with essentially a whole new arrangement and a whole new. Attitude the song within this, you know, within a day, it's just amazing to me that he can do that. Mm, yeah, it's just said it's a, it's a really really remarkable stuff. So, what are your thoughts on? I know we already covered this song uh, on the show a little while back, but what are your thoughts on "Tight Connection" as a song? I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't. I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, listen again. I don't. I, I was saying to you before we came on here, I'm not really on social media, so I don't really get a sense of what the the wider Dylan community thinks of it. But uh, anytime I have sort of dipped my toes in it, I do think that uh, someone's got a hold of my heart is, is maybe held in higher esteem than Tight Connection. But I love Tight Connection. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I love all that music and I like the production and it's a bit corny, but I really like, I love it. Like, I do too. It's, I th- a, it's so catchy. <laughs> yeah, so catchy. I mean, it's a pop tune, you know. He, yeah, he talked, someone's got a hold of my heart. Me, I mean, you know, he he turned it into a pop tune, really. And I think it, yeah. If he had a her like David Bowie, that would have been it. <laughs> if he didn't have fuzzy hair, that's starting to go grey. Yeah, that's what done him in the eighties, mate. <laughs> yeah, I said it's. I'm. I. I'm so impressed. Again, continually so impressed by this guy that he can. You know, like he can, they can un, they can uncover this prototype version, and you realize, well, God, this thing really works on its own. It works as its own thing, and then he can totally transform it into something else, and that works on its own. Uh, on yeah. its Have own you heard the Supper Club version of Take well, I was just about to get into that. Is that yeah? I mean, this song, of course, the someone's got a hold of my heart has never been done live, except when he did it at the Supper Club because he doesn't have the backing singers with him. He doesn't have the Queens of Rhythm. Uh, it ends up sounding a lot more like someone's got a hold of my heart, even though the lyrics are tight connection lyrics. It tends to sound more like this version simply because it's just him and the guitar and, and, and the, and the stripped down band. I love that version. I mean, I, the supper club version is really fun. And I think I made, might've probably mentioned this when we did the tight connection episode, there's a great moment in the supper club bootlegs where he sings the line about, um, in that song, if, if you want to talk to me, go ahead and talk. And you hear a woman in the audience yell that line as he sings it. And you hear him go, you know, you want to talk to me? And then you hear this woman go, go ahead and talk. And it was so charming. <laughs> she obviously was like, who, you know, she managed to get these tickets to the Supper Club show. And it's like, oh, he's singing this really obscure song that I love. And she knows all the words. I just found that to be so charming that that woman was just like, this is the best thing ever. He's singing Tight Connection. It's awesome. Uh, I'm gonna listen to that after this. <laughs> Great, <laughs> and and that up. that's another with that bootleg series. I, that's another bunch of material that's just been put away somewhere. I mean, get the supper yeah, club shows out. Those yeah, are marvelous. I think, uh, 
I think that's going to be the next one released. It's, it's bound to be, isn't it? There can't be that much high-quality stuff left, can there be? A, I mean, what are we on now? What um, was springtime in New York? Yeah, 16. Like 16. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I thought yeah, that, I thought that like, five sets ago, and we're still going. So, you know, it's... <laughs> The guy's just been busy. So, but yeah, I said it's yeah. it's a it's a really marvelous song, and you could see why he persevered with it, and then again, ultimately left it off of Infidels. Yeah, but I mean, he persevered, and then yeah, I mean, I've already said it, but it's just madness was dropped. Like he never played flavor <laughs> or foot of pride. I don't get it. Maybe you know what? Maybe that song just didn't sound the same way. Slan Robin, maybe maybe it's something. Yeah. Inf- Infidels. Almost could have been like a double album. Can we think about how much good material he had? They really, he really could have done that. Now he's never done a double album since. I mean, he did Triplicate, which is sort of. I mean, that is it's a triple album. But like other than Blonde on Blonde, he's never really done a double album since. And he really could have. He had enough material uh, for this record. Uh, I mean, even even if you don't even include all the stuff he did between. Uh, saved and shot of love and shot of love and infidels, all that material, Caribbean wind and need a woman and all that. Uh, you know, I mean, good lord, I mean, he just had the songs are piling up, and it, so infidels could have been a double record if he if he had wanted to. Again, he probably wasn't going to really do that, especially 1983, where his commercial standing was a little low because he was coming off of two records in a row that had not done well. But but yeah, this is this is just a terrific song, uh, and again, he left it behind, sort of. And then reworked it, and obviously by singing it at the supper club, it's somewhere in the back of his mind. He still realizes he can do it here and there. But this version, kind of just all right, left to left to in, within the walls of the of the studio. So, uh, I mean, he said it's just it's just a terrific tune. So, uh, I mean, Chris, I mean, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this song. I mean, this was it. it this was so weird when I did the Take Connection show. I was like. Is there another show in this other song? I don't know. And they were like, "Yeah, it is. It's it's different enough that obviously we could treat it as its own thing." So thank you so much for suggesting. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, it is the better song. It had to be talked about. Taking action's great, but you know, it's it, yeah. This is the better song, especially that rock version. It's amazing. Right. Anyone out there who hasn't heard it, get well. I'm sure there's nobody listens to this podcast. Hasn't heard Probably it, not. Yeah. No. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, you're kind of diehard <laughs> at this point. So uh, I have to ask you like a, the sort of exit question as we're wrapping up here. So um, if there was any Bob Dylan album session that you could sit in on of any of his records, uh, which one would it be? Oh, it's this one. <laughs> it okay. has to be. I figured that's what you were going to say. But you yeah. Know. Like, have you seen that video? Oh, man, yeah. They're just everyone looks so cool. Like, I mean, come on. Jeez. Where was it? <laughs> Sitting in with Mark Knopfler and Mick Taylor and Slay and Robbie and Dylan. Yeah. Everyone looks cool. Well, apart from uh, Mark Knopfler, he looks like he's sitting around waiting on a bus or something. But yeah, no, that would have been a good session to sit in on. Uh, you know, you might have got some answers to why these songs were dropped. Because it does seem to be, Infidels does seem to be one of the the albums that um, there's a lot of discussion around. That mm-hmm. it could have been a, like a classic. Yeah. So it would have been good to sit in those sessions, definitely. Absolutely. And if you had sat in on them, we could have seen you in the videos. It would have been perfect. Been, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I that guy I back there, there. He's back just watching well. this. What's going on? It's, <laughs> he's, he's looking, he, he looks excited. Mark Novel looks bored, but that guy looks excited to be there. Yeah, so, he's on uh, eight year old in the corner. <laughs> so, well, Chris, thank you so much for, for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? 
Uh, well, it, uh, it wouldn't be a big user of social media. We'll have a wee band called Ify Pop. Uh, we're on Bandcamp if anyone wants to listen to that. Um, it's more hobby than anything, but you can see me there. I've also got some Bob Dylan related <laughs> lists on Spotify under my name. If uh, anyone wants to go in, a Nadies themed one. All so right. uh, that's it, really. Rob, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you Big so fan much. Of your thank show, you. So thank thanks for letting me talk about this. Absolutely. So, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, of which Pod Dylan is a part, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein, who was back in the fold now that Superman Movie Minute uh, is on hiatus. Uh, thanks, Henry. Uh, thanks, everybody, for your support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Kid, I want to talk to you. Keep on playing. I said I want to talk to you. Well, go ahead and talk. <laughs>